Welcome to another episode of the Ambitious Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Levine, the Purpose Lawyer. Thank you for listening and thank you for helping me be on purpose. So today I wanted to talk to you guys about protecting your digital assets. I know we started this conversation um, a few weeks ago, just kind of, you know, talking about educating yourself. But I know many of you are already in this space trying to figure it out. And I want you to think about, you know, what does that mean or what's it going to look like for you to actually protect these things that you're, you know, acquiring now where we're going. And so I wanted to talk about that in the in the space of trust, right? And so every time you might be, you might have heard like so many different types of trust. Every time there's like a new pain point, there's like this new type of trust that's created. And they're all pretty much similar trusts. Your trusts are always gonna be what revocable or irrevocable. That's pretty much it. They're gonna fall under one of those um, umbrellas. And these new type of trusts that you hear about, all these different names, they're really a result of branding, right? Lawyers and firms want to make themselves, you know, set apart. So they create this, these new types of trust. So the one specifically I wanted to talk to you about, which is a new type of trust, is called a digital asset protection trust. And what it really is, is just that a trust that has particular clauses or particular language that is specific to protecting your digital assets, right? So we have things like, you know, um, Bitcoins. We have, you know, all other types of coins. We have, you know, your digital real estate. We have all these other things that, you know, now coming up in the digital space, we have to figure out how you're, how that's going to be passed on to the next generation, right? And one of the, the issues with that, if you want to look at it as an issue, is that, you know, your keys, your access to all of these assets have to be highly um, securitized, right? You have to really keep it under lock and key, no pun intended. But you really don't want to make, you know, anyone aware of that because it could get stolen. It could get, you know, compromised. And so with these trusts that are created to sort of protect your digital assets, there has to be specific language and strategies on how to protect that information now, but then make sure that you get it to whomever it needs to benefit from it, your your, your multiple millions of dollars um, at some point, right? Um, so to get it to who, who needs to benefit from it, there has to be a trust that has language that speaks to these type of things. So just to kind of put you on notice that there is this type of thing and um, wanting to make sure that there is a way that you're aware that there needs to be a way, there needs to be a plan ahead of time to be able to pass these on because no one's going to know <laughs> your keys, as you know. Um, no one's going to know, you know, what you have, you know, in in the digital world. I mean, if they're not going to know what you have here, <laughs> like if they don't know the accounts you have at Chase, they're not going to know what you have in your digital wallets, right? So that's what these um, trusts are about. And so um, the last time we spoke about getting digital education, right? You need to go out there and educate yourself. So today we're gonna do that together because my guest today is somewhat of a genius in my opinion in this area. He is immersed in this space of uh, digital currencies on the metaverse, on all these um, new, I would say technologies, right? That we're experiencing and that's going to change the way that we live our lives. So he's here today. His name is Armando Pantoja. Um, you're really going to learn a lot. I learned so much from just this conversation and um, I know you're going to enjoy it just as much as I did.
Hey, everybody. I am here with Armando Pantoja. Did I say that right? Yeah, you said it right. <laughs> okay. He is uh, one of the, I would say, I would say geniuses in this space because I know nothing. So <laughs> to me, you're a genius. And he's immersed in the space of NFTs, crypto, meta, everything you need to know about um, digital currency, the digital world. And he's here to talk to us. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure no, to have no you. Yes. So, Armando, I wanted to to get into what got you so interested in this space. Maybe, you know, you could tell me a little bit about your background and how you found yourself um, being at the center of this uh, digital world. Oh, yeah. So, um, so I was, uh, I was originally, I was a software engineer uh, for, mm. for almost 15 years total. So when I was in, uh, I studied uh, at Austin State University in uh, mm -hmm. Tennessee, uh, software engineering from 2000 to 2005. And I graduated in 2005. Okay. So um, after that, I, I worked a little bit in the field. And around 2010, I wanted to go back and get my graduate degree, right? So I wanted mm -hmm. to study software security uh, and, and with a specialization in cryptology, right? Okay. And well, this, remember, well, Bitcoin came out in 2009. Ah, okay. So I started in 2010. At the time, I knew nothing about Bitcoin. I never even heard of it, right? So mm -hmm. I, get in, I get into school and, uh, and I start hearing like some people talking about it because, you know, we were all studying cryptology, which right. crypto, cryptology, that's what, uh, so cryptocurrency is really just encrypted. Uh, you know, encrypted currency, right? Okay, so that was so a thing. That was stuff like that. Sorry, that was a Go thing ahead. back then already. Like it was just like the encryption part of it that you were studying. The encryption, the encryption's mm. been around for like thirty years, forty mm. years, mm. Okay. since the '60s, maybe even before that, because they were encrypting messages back in the '40s at the end of World War II. Oh, really? You know, computer messages. You know, back then, yeah. So encryption's uh, cryptology's been out way. Before, it's even before computers. You oh, know, wow. Computers, so it's a Cryptology is just a, it's a method of encrypting messages. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm going to send you a, a message, it's the, it's the, uh, the algorithms or the, the way that, uh, that I'm going to encrypt a message, right? Even, okay. they, even like back, uh, even like, remember the Navajo talkers, it's a movie about that, about where mm -hmm. they would, in World War II, they would, uh, they have the Navajo, the people, Navajo people would speak to each other in Navajo and that was the way they can move messages back and forth. Oh, okay. So the, uh, third party, uh, couldn't understand. That's a way, that's a form of cryptology, right? So, but computerized cryptology uh, started like in the '60s, the study of it or whatever. So it's been out a long time, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, but cryptocurrency just took that that already existing framework and applied it to the currency, mm. right? Uh, you know how to encrypt stuff, how to make it safe, how to make it secure. So they came out in 2009, and I was already into it, and I started looking into it, right? So and everybody was talking about it, and you know I was going. It was it was not that much information about it, so I went online and I um and I was in this forum. And I, and I figured out how to buy Bitcoin, right? So okay. I bought it. I think I paid like $40, $50 for the first ones. And I bought it wow. like four or five of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then uh, that's the first time I got scammed, right? So it's like, <laughs> I was, you know, in college. Right. I was a desperate college student. I didn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, man, so uh, somebody online on a forum told me they could take that money and then double it and give it back to me, right? Mm -hmm. So, I, and I, I did it, of course, but uh, that didn't, you know, that didn't happen. Didn't work, yeah. <laughs> but, but that made me want to learn more, right? Because I was like, well, I... You know, I was like, man, he got me, but I'm mm -hmm. going to make sure this don't happen again. So I started studying as much as I could about it, started learning more about it. Mm -hmm. And that started my journey to where I'm at today. Wow. And this, so because you were already in this like engineering space, it wasn't like a scary thing for you. Because a lot of people are like, no. this is not going to last. This is, this is not something that's going to be, you know, real. It's not going to take over. It's not the next wave. So how come you were so convinced even so early on? 
because I mean the, the the currency part of it is like the top, like an iceberg, right? It's very very tight top of it. That's the part that's above the water. So people see mm-hmm. it as a currency, but if you dig deeper and you understand the technology behind it, how it works, how it processes transmi- uh, transactions, mm-hmm. how it saves the transactions going forward. If you under, that's what I always tell people, man, make sure you understand it, look into it and research it. Because once you get a strong understanding of what it is mm-hmm. and the power behind it, it the, the, you'll understand where it's going. But if you just see it at the top level, it's just an investment or something you put money into and get it out later. It does seem scammy. Mm-hmm. Like what, what is that? But if you dig right. deeper into it and you understand technology and everything behind it, then it makes sense as an investment or as a, a way that the world is going. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, I kind of compare it back to like uh, the internet in the late 90s. Like right. a lot of people, it was people that said that, it was people in the late 90s that said internet will never replace fax machines ever. Mm. There's actually quotes to like major CEOs and stuff saying that. Like, wow. because it was just so new and it didn't really, you know, it, it was so early that people just couldn't see the uh, the future applications of it. Right. So that's the same thing where Bitcoin's been out 10 years and it seems like a long time, uh, 11 years, uh, yeah, almost, yeah, almost 13 years, actually. But in technology wise, that's not that long because, mm-hmm. I mean, digital cameras, for example, uh, Kodak created the first digital camera in, in the mid 70s. OK, right? so w- when it, how long did it take society as a whole to really wow. embrace and use digital cameras in the early 2000s? It was like 30 years later. Right. And so, we're and it's really software, just now becoming part of every day. I mean, you know, within exactly. the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And like said, digital music was out in what they ate in the, in the late 70s. Like mm-hmm. in, that, that we just got, you know, used to around in the last 10, 15 years mm-hmm. away from CDs and stuff. And what else was it? It was uh, cell phones. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. remember back in the 80s, yes. and 70s, people had those big cases, <laughs> uh, those cases right. with cell phones. It took us 30 years before it became part of our everyday life. Right. We don't t- we don't see that part because it's hidden from us. Right. Mm-hmm. We don't see it. All of a sudden we just turn, come wake up one day and it's all around us. Right. And we saw, oh, man, what did cell phones come from? But now all that development was being done behind the scenes and, you know, behind closed doors. And it just seems to us that it came out of nowhere. Right. So like Bitcoin may take 20 years before it becomes, it's already been out 13. It may take another 10 years before it's made really, truly mainstream. Mm-hmm. And do you think that there will be, um, so like, is this the ride or do you think there's going to be a situation where it crashes? Like say for instance, like the dot-com and things like that. I know Bitcoin tends to go up and down and things like that. But do you think like, no, we're on the ride? Yeah. So there's a, a predictable cycle with Bitcoin really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and crypto in general, because all cryptos are uh, are priced in Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin falls, they all fall. When Bitcoin goes up, they all go up. Okay. More or less, you know, mm-hmm. as as the economy go, you know, it's not always exact, but it more or less. Okay. So Bitcoin has what's called a halving every four years, and what the halving is is that uh, that Bitcoin, the way that the the creators of Bitcoin decided they were going to create scarcity. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that has has value has to have some kind of scarcity to it. Gold diamonds, oil, anything, right? It has to have some type of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if everybody can get it, it's worthless, right? So it has to have some kind of scarcity and rarity. Mm-hmm. So with a digital currency, of course, you could just create as many as you wanted and then no, you know, there wouldn't be any scarcity to it. So the creator of Bitcoin decided he was going to create scarcity by doing what's called the halving. So mm-hmm. the way he did it is that every 10 minutes or so, so many Bitcoins cr- get created through the system. The overall, you know, Bitcoin every system, 10 minutes, you said? Every 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's a certain amount that gets created, right? So you go back to 2020, there was a roughly, it was 12 and a half Bitcoins created every 10 minutes. Boom. Mm-hmm. Going to the market, right? But in, in 2020, uh, 2000, I'm sorry, 2000, May of 2020, mm-hmm. that supply was cut in half. And it happens every four years in Bitcoin. Okay. So now there's six and a quarter every, you know, 
every 10 minutes, okay. roughly every 10 okay, minutes. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So whenever that happens, it's, 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 it's normally an 18-month cycle in which Bitcoin price rises. Because, mm-hmm. of course, if you cut the supply of anything, what happens? Like right now, if we woke up in the morning and they said the oil that comes out of the ground in, in the Middle East is being cut in half tomorrow, all of a sudden, you know the price is going to go up right. sky high the next day. Mm-hmm. So in Bitcoin, it's a predictable cycle because every four years they do that. Okay. So it's like it's just like gold coming out of mines or the way oil comes out of the ground. If it's cut in half, the, it has the price has to go up to match that. So in Bitcoin, the last one was in May of 2020. Mm-hmm. The next one's in March of 2024 right now. Okay. So every four years this happens. And then it's an 18 month cycle in which the price of Bitcoin rises a lot. And then it slows down and goes down. Then it, it kind of levels off for another 18 months. Then it goes up again after the next half. It's been, this is the third cycle. Mm-hmm. And 2024 will be the fourth cycle. Okay. So it's not so much that it's going to, cr- you know, crash in a sense, but because of the way that it's set up or was created, that it's going to continue to have high and low. So similar like to the stock market, except on a different yeah. measurement. Okay. Yeah. It's like the stock market, right? The stock market has cycles like that too. Mm-hmm. But it's not predictable as Bitcoin because it doesn't have like a, it's not hard coded in the code, you know, so, mm-hmm. like Bitcoin is. So does that like make it easily manipulative because we kind of know, you know, I guess once people educate themselves on it, if everyone knows like the cycles and things, how does that sort of help the the market? That's the thing about it is that, uh, that every, no, hardly anybody knows this. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's why I try, that's one of the biggest things I try to educate people on is that, that process because if you understand that process, you can see what's coming, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now, and like, and on my Instagram, like I was telling people that that, pro- that that was coming and I was even showing people that I'm investing money into it now because I'm expecting this to happen over the next 18 months right. and it's exactly what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Because I knew what was coming over those 18 months and I, I'm glad a lot of people saw that because mm-hmm. it opened a lot of people's eyes to what, you know, how to predict what's coming next with Bitcoin. Right. So the thing about it is that like, even, even if everybody knew it, I mean, it's the same thing with gold every day, less and less gold comes out of the ground because it's only so much you can find. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's the same that th- that was created in Bitcoin to kind of match what, a, you know, another like gold or oil, anything else would be. Or the supply of oil is dropping. The supply of gold is dropping. The supply of diamonds is dropping. It's not right. as predictable, mm-hmm. but it's coming. It's, it's slowing down over time because we're finding all the deposits and it's harder and harder and more expensive to find more deposits every year. So wow. Bitcoin kind of did that to match uh, those kind of kind of markets. I understand. So you said that you so you kind of got into the space after um, college or while you were, you know, studying um, cryptology. And so did you just continue going with it or were you doing other things in the midst of it? Like, how did you get to where you are now? Okay, so uh, so like so I started studying it then I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. So I actually uh, never finished grad school. I dropped out early to start a company. Right. Okay. So uh, I started a software company, and uh, and during that time, I was I was one of the I was actually like the first I was a soft first first software company in all of uh, Florida to accept Bitcoin. And oh, I was wow. actually one of the first companies in the country to accept Bitcoin. There's a mm-hmm. article out like since 2013 that you can find it. I was like one of the first ones ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but it was uh, it was more popular in Europe and Asia back then. It okay. wasn't really that popular in the U.S. yet. So all the stuff was happening over there, really. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you the story is that during that time, I didn't know about the cycles back then. It was, it was okay. only one cycle. The cycle didn't happen yet because it, right. it, you know, it was three cycles, the third one. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin went up and I was invested. I was buying it or whatever. So it went from like $80, $70 all the way up to $1,000. Mm. And then uh, a big exchange got hacked called MT Gox. 
It was mm-hmm. the only Bitcoin exchange that existed at the time. That was the only place you could buy Bitcoin online. Okay. So a hacker hacked into this and stole $50 million worth of Bitcoin, which was a lot back then. Wow. The Bitcoin price was like, like $80 a coin. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was a thousand back then. Still, that's a lot of Bitcoin. Right. So uh, at, at then people, everybody said that Bitcoin was insecure and it's not going to last. So at that time, I just said, well, it's over. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was 2013. I was like, well, I guess that's over. You right. Know? So I kind of forgot about it for two years. Like, you know, I was like, well, it's over. Mm-hmm. And then like 2015, I started hearing about it again, like coming back up and stuff. And then I was like, well, I'm going to start looking into this again. Right. So right. And I started buying uh, some other cryptos called Ethereum or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'll tell you how I learned about the site. So Ethereum came out. Remember, only one cycle happened back then. Okay. Yeah. only had one. Mm-hmm. So these other cryptos came out. And then the same kind of thing happened. Like the, the price went up a lot. And then somebody, then one of the one of the uh, coins got hacked, and mm-hmm. the people said it's over. Right. So I sold all my coins and and I gave up again. Right. Oh man, then, I know that uh, hurts. <laughs> and then the third cycle came, and I was like, "Nah, it's not. I'm gonna do this again." So uh-huh. <laughs> the third time, uh, the third time in 2017, I started like you know I started mm-hmm. investing, and I said, "Nah, it's not gonna happen again." I I, I saw it twice. Mm-hmm. And I know what's coming the third time, and I made a lot of money in 17, 18. Mm-hmm. And I made a lot of money this cycle. So. uh yeah, so now I'm not gonna let that happen again. But yeah, so uh, but yeah, it's just I, I just I just saw the cycles happen. And I've been right. in so long that I, I kind of predict, you know, be able to see what's coming. And I know even like, even like at the top of this cycle, right? Mm-hmm. What happens at the top of cycles? And I actually researched it, right? Because right. That's, that's true in like financial markets too. Is that whenever you have a uh, you know, you know, it's called the market cycles. There's four phases. One is uh, mm-hmm. accumulation phase. It's markup, distribution, and markdown. Mm-hmm. So in those phases, right, uh, accumulation is where the uh, the rich people normally buy, the elite, the banks and everything. That's when nobody's talking about it. That's okay. right after a crash. Mm-hmm. That's right after everything is quiet, you know, and everybody's saying it's over, it's done, it's never coming back. You'll hear news articles about that. Mm-hmm. And then the markup phase is when it starts coming back slowly. Okay. Right. And that, in these two phases, when the rich and elite buy in the first two phases, distribution phase comes when the average person starts buying. Mm. All the hype has gotten out. Everybody starts hearing about it. But in the third phase, the rich people start getting out at the beginning of the third, beginning of the end of the second, beginning of the third. Okay. So when the average person starts okay. buying it, they're buying it from the elite and stuff that bought it in the first place. I got so it. they're selling it because they know a crash is coming. So the next phase is a crash. Mm. And then the whole four phases start over again. So once it crashes all the way down, the elite and the bank start buying again. And it goes back up through those four phases. Wow. So I learned all of that. Now I'm, you know, and I'm in the smart people are, are like bond with the banks and the rich and the elite. You know, <laughs> people who don't know any better, you know, are buying on emotion. And emotion right. is the highest in the third phase, in the distribution phase. Mm-hmm. So that phase is when the average person gets in. And that's why they keep losing money. Right. And that's in all markets. That's in real estate. That's in uh that's in the stock market, and that's also in crypto. Yeah, no, that's really good information. And um, I was going to say, it sounds like exactly what happens in the stock market, what happens in the real estate market, which we've seen, you know, um, in shorter cycles, but a few times over already. So yeah, you you hear everybody making money and you jump in. Yeah. And and you're like, oh. And it's too late. But it's too late at that point. (laughs) Right. It's too late to make any real money and you probably get hurt, you know, going in at that point. Yeah. And a lot of people get hurt because they they jump in the wrong cycle Mm -hmm. because it's all emotion based. Right. So you talked a lot about Bitcoin, but from what I understand from like how you've been teaching us online, um, that it's not that Bit- Bitcoin is on the blockchain and that is what's really housing uh, all of this. Yeah. 
And yeah, so mm-hmm. the blockchain is a system in which uh, it records the transactions. Mm. Uh, uh, like if I send you one Bitcoin, it has to be recorded somewhere. So the blockchain is a system in which is recorded. Mm-hmm. So that's the power of Bitcoin. It's not really the you know the actual the coin itself is the power. So Bitcoins don't exist anywhere but on the blockchain. It's not mm-hmm. like I don't have any. I don't have uh, I don't have. It's no such thing as having Bitcoins on your phone. People think that, but it's not true. Mm. All Bitcoins exist in that block, and it's just a ledger. This is a ledger, like okay. a gigantic Excel worksheet, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's just uh, that all your Bitcoins exist as a ledger. Uh, what's you know uh, a universal uh, like distributed ledger? Mm-hmm. That's all they exist on. So when I have Bitcoins on my wallet, all I do is I have access to that that blockchain, right? Okay. It's, I have access to it. I can move money around or whatever, but it's no such thing as having Bitcoins on your phone or anywhere else. Right. And so in addition to Bitcoin, or Bitcoin is one of the coins, many one of the many coins that are um, out there. And I know that there's other things being built or I'm very novice, right? <laughs> so that's why I'm taking these baby steps. Um and so the, the next level or the next layer is what we've been hearing about is NFTs. And so how does this sort of either change the game or how is how does this, you know, affect us and will affect us going forward? So uh, I mean, my opinion is that uh, whenever a new technology come out, comes out, mm-hmm. it's always trying to find a, a reason to exist. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, like even with the Internet, when it first came out, uh, I mean, I don't know, you know, if you remember, I'm mm-hmm. sure you do when it first came out in the late <laughs> yeah. 90s. I'm not as we young as I exactly look. <laughs> when it first came out, uh-huh. uh, like like I remember when I, I was so excited when they first put in, the internet in uh, in our classrooms, right? Mm-hmm. And so we uh, and I was in a I was like, like a typing class or some computer class. So after we finished our work, we were able to use the internet. So mm-hmm. I was so excited, and then I, I realized quickly that it wasn't but so much you could do on there. Right? Like, it's like look up a bunch of pages and you're like, what else? <laughs> There's nothing else to do, right? Right. So and then you're like, oh, you know, it's like it's boring. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like. Um, yeah, that's when technology first came out. It's like no reason. It, it's trying to find a reason to exist. So the internet first, it was a bunch of pages of information. Mm-hmm. It was no real, there's no search engines. I don't, you know, if yeah, search you just had to know. Yeah. You had to know the exact page. And right. like, I'd go to like NBA.com and I would go to like somewhere else. And now there's really nowhere else for me to go. You know, right. mm-hmm. I'd go like to a news article page and that's it. The search engines came out and that made it a lot easier. Then right. it's, it's moved on and on and on. Now we're at like web 2.0 with social media, Instagram, all this stuff. And now it's kind of like finding our true reasons to exist in society. Mm-hmm. But that's how the NFT things are going to be, right? Is that right now with the, the images of goats and stuff, on, you know, all that stuff is <laughs> right. probably not going to last, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest. Okay. Uh, but because th- it, it's normally when, when things first come out like this is that it's trying to find reasons to exist. And a lot of times people don't know, you know, mm-hmm. it, like it doesn't know why it's going to exist yet. And these weird stuff will start happening. But like I said, those pictures, uh, the NFT picture stuff is probably not going to last. But the NFT, the real power of the NFT is the is the power to prove uh, ownership of digital goods. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can apply, you know, as a lawyer. Right. You know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we could want it like one of the biggest problems in society is proven ownership of stuff. Right. Like, do I own this? Who owns that? When did you buy? You know, all of this stuff. That's a lot of the legal system is trying to prove who owns this, who owns it, whatever. Right. So NFTs give us a tool to be able to do that, you know, without being disputed. Right. Is that any even like a, a car, right? A car title can be written as an NFT. Mm-hmm. Like anything that's digital right now can be written as an NFT. And the thing about a, with the blockchain technology is that. Mm. It's irdisputable ir- ir- who owns this because the blockchain technology cannot be changed, altered, or deleted. Right. So if I buy something from you now, like a car today, and it gets written to the blockchain, that's, that's, that's undeniable proof 
that I bought this on this certain day. Right. And, and, it, and it's saved forever, right? Mm -hmm. And to transfer so, it, you're the I owner move, and you're the only yeah, person the who owner, can do that. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm the only person that could possibly have it, right? Because it, on, the, on this day, it was written to the blockchain mm -hmm. that I purchased this NFT, which represents a car or whatever, on this day, right? And the other power of NFT is the ability to fractionalize it, which mm -hmm. means that, for example, if I like bought a house and I can, uh, I can store it on the blockchain, I can take that NFT and break it up into a thousand parts and sell each part off. Wow. Right, to people. And now we all mm -hmm. own that house, right? Is, is it like maybe a hundred people, maybe a family, maybe. And then as, as the house gets profit, I can use the NFT to distribute the profits evenly to the people, depending on how much they own. Wow. I've so never heard that explained that way. That's actually. Yeah. Yeah. So that's no one. That's the good. That's the mm -hmm. most powerful part of the NFT is the fractionalization of it is that I can take almost any asset and I could break it up into several parts. So we all can, you know, mm -hmm. benefit from it. Right. So that's that's the, the one of the biggest uh, that's one of the biggest benefits of NFTs is mm -hmm. that the ability to do that. And then it doesn't but, matter. I mean, it's not really being explored a lot now. Yeah. Does it with that fractional fractionalization when you say one person wants to sell sell a portion that doesn't affect anybody else? If you know, you know, that uh, far. Mm -hmm. they can only sell their piece of it at that point. OK. So if we all own like a piece of like expensive artwork, like a million dollar piece of artwork. I can only sell my piece. It doesn't affect anybody else because mm -hmm. I can sell ten, my 10% 10 to somebody else, but it doesn't affect the other owners. That's interesting. And so um, I wanted to, so, so with NFTs, how do you envision or recommend that people get involved in that? Because we, we hear, we're hearing more about, you know, buying coins. You should definitely buy. We sort of understand why we should do that. Um, do you think people should be buying NFTs or should be creating NFTs, like in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I, I think you should definitely learn more about it and mm -hmm. learn because it's going to it's going it, to what's going to happen is that after all these pictures and stuff go away, these, you know, these digital images and these all this stuff it's probably a lot of it's going to go to zero. It's my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it happens all the time. Like even if you go back to 2017, there was a concept called ICO mm -hmm. in which it was the same. It was almost the same thing, except it was under a different concept. And all a lot of those stuff went to zero. And it was a lot of excitement about it. People were putting all this money into it. And it was crypto based too. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those companies went to zero. So okay. even in this one, uh, even with this particular one, uh, with the NFT stuff, a lot of those are going to go to zero. That's just how it works. You know, it's not like some of them are going to do good. Some of them are going to make a lot of money, but like the vast majority of them are going to go to zero. Right. Uh, and people are going to lose a lot of money. But that's how it happens in technology, right? Is mm -hmm. Even in the dot-com boom in the late 90s, a lot of people lost a lot of money, you know, because uh, like a lot of those companies failed. Mm -hmm. So uh, with technology, you know, that's what happens a lot of times because a lot of money goes in and only a few actual projects or companies do well. Okay. And I'm hearing a lot about like NFT games now, like they're creating games and I don't even know conceptually how this works, but like creating games within NFTs or creating NFTs for games. Like how, how does that work? And do you, don't you think that that will continue on because like gaming is such like a big field yeah i mean uh nfts can be uh i, I think what what I, I mean i may be wrong but i think you're referring to like maybe the characters on the games perhaps maybe like, like, <laughs> right there was a there was a game called uh i forget the name of it it was like the nf this was way before this was actually like you know two or three years ago mm -hmm. there was a uh, i forget the name of it but there was like uh like pokemon right mm -hmm, but it was, mm -hmm. it was a similar game like pokemon but uh, you know how you have to capture Pokemon and whatever. So yeah. each each one of those monsters, or whatever, were represented by NFT, and they could fight each ah, other. Ah, okay. Yeah, so uh, it could be something like that. But NFTs can only store a small amount of data. 
Mm. Right. It's not, it's, it can't like, because a lot of times this is how NFT works, right? Mm-hmm. Is they, you take a, like a digital, a digi- some kind of digital good, or it's like, it could be an image. It could be a video. It could be a music. And you have to do what's called a hash on it. Cause mm-hmm. you, you can't take the whole video won't fit on the blockchain. It's too big. Okay. Or even a picture is too big to fit on the blockchain. Blockchain can only fit like a small amount of characters. Mm-hmm. It won't, it won't like an image could be like three gigabytes, three megabytes. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then, or maybe more And you, but, but uh, the, uh, the blockchain can only hold a few kilobytes worth of data, you know? So it won't, it, it won't work. So what happens is you take this image, you do what's called hashing it, which mm-hmm. you, create a string of characters that represents this uh this music or picture or whatever mm-hmm. and then you store that it's almost like a vin number on a car right the ah. vin number represents the car right mm-hmm. so you take that and it's a string of characters that represents this so and, and there's no other string of characters that, like this has to represent this right okay this is, how, this is the way the hash works so it's, it's like a vin number it uniquely you know represents whatever this art is mm-hmm. and you store that on the blockchain and then uh and that's that's how you have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you then you can fractionalize and do all that stuff with that that data. But uh, so I don't a video game couldn't really fit on the blockchain like that. But you can do like characters in the video games. Okay. You could do you can hash those and then put those on the blockchain. That's how that would work. But I don't know. <laughs> okay. Like the whole video game wouldn't work. So all right. So um, so how is this? So now I know you you also talk about uh, Web three how. You know, you you mentioned we're on Web 2.0, and then now there's a Web 3.0. So, what does that what does that mean to us, and and how are people using that? So, uh, okay, so Web 1.0 was uh, mostly about uh, like just looking up information online. Mm-hmm. So we were like, you know, like pages, and we would, uh, you know, you basically like search for stuff and look it up. It was just like basically pages of data. Mm-hmm. Right, Web 2.0 is more about the communication, like the social media. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, you know, be able to talk back and forth. We the users put out most of the uh, the content. Mm-hmm. The first uh, Web 1.0 was like the, the the most of the companies put out the information. Web 2.0, mm-hmm. the users put it out, right? So Web 3.0 is more about decentralization, right? Is that uh, like right now, for example, Instagram? Most people go through. You have to go through Instagram to be able to use social media, right? Mm-hmm. Instagram is the central power. They're the ones that control everything. Right. They can boot people off they want. So they can do whatever they want delete pages and that's happened a lot you mm-hmm. know? so decent that's centralized decentralized is when the users not only put the content out but the users also have control of the systems mm-hmm. the platforms okay right now instagram has control of the platform but the users put out most of the content but right web 3.0 is but the users have control of the through the just decentralization have control of the platform and also put out all the, the uh, content okay so that's where we're moving towards is that decentralization of those platforms and how does one like access that? Like, how would I put out <laughs> content on Web 3.0 without Instagram, without, you know, anybody else? So that's how that's how Bitcoin works. Mm. Bitcoin is decentralized. Okay. So, uh, everybody all over the world runs what's called nodes, like mining nodes. Right. Mm-hmm. So that means that each each person I mean, for more or less, they, they have a small part of the system all over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Bitcoin is no third party running Bitcoin. There's no uh, central power running. It's, de- it's completely decentralized. So it's a platform in which we can exchange money back and forth. It's decentralized that nobody owns, nobody controls. Mm-hmm. So that's what the entire web will be like in five, maybe maybe 10 or 15 years. The whole web will be like that mm-hmm. to where like it'll be a platform, a social media platform that's decentralized. So we'll all be incentivized 
to like just control, you know, like you would just have a small part of it running on your computer. Ah, uh, okay, it'd okay. Be thousands, thousands of people all over the world to do that. So you're getting some tokens or you'll get some crypto mm -hmm. just to run those nodes all over the world. So we'll all be able to take pieces of the profits. We'll mm -hmm. all be able to control, you know, be, uh, you know, be able to contribute and we'll all be able to be part of the platform. Wow. It sounds incredible. Like, um, I mean, it's really hard to conceptualize how we would all be, you know, taking part of this and playing a part of it. So what if someone doesn't know any of this and is not participating in this? Is this like a very different life? Like, it, how do you envision all of this shaping the way we live? This may be a little bit deep, but if you have an opinion no, I mean, on it. it mm -hmm. most, the thing about most people is that most people probably won't take part in, like Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Most people just send Bitcoin and receive it. They don't take part in the actual like platform or the, the, mm -hmm. the nodes and stuff. You know, those are only more technical people to do that. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it'd be like, you can, you don't have to like be part of the platform. You can still uh, consume it. Okay. Like most people consume Bitcoin, but like I don't run a node yet. I'm going to run them, but I don't run them yet. Okay. And I use Bitcoin every other day, you know, so you don't have to be part of that decentralization of the platform, but you can still, you can't, it, uh, it's not about like us all having to do it. It's that we all have the ability to do it mm. and, it, and it's decentralized. So that means that nobody has the power to like reverse transactions or do anything like that, you know, so it just gives more power to the people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So where did you, what makes you so like fired up in like sharing this information? Because you like, you share a lot of stuff. Uh, you talk I mean, about this I all the time. It has the power to, what'd you say? No, no, no. I was just saying you talk about it all the time and you seem very passionate about it. And so what has you so fired up in sharing it? Uh, I just like, uh, I really just like the uh, the power of, you know, cryptocurrency. It's changed my life a lot, you know, mm -hmm. being able to see it early and, and I know it has the power to change people's, and you know, not only their wealth, but also their mindset, you mm -hmm. know, and ability to create wealth. Uh, and, and, and it's one of the things that, you know, like because it's decentralized, because it's like Bitcoin was like created for the people. Mm -hmm. uh, traditionally, I think that like the banks and elite and the way that the financial system is set up is, is stacked against us. Mm -hmm. It's stacked against like people that are already rich. Right. It's right. very difficult for somebody to, you know, in poverty to become rich. Now, once you become rich, it's easier to become richer. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for to go from that first step. It's, it's almost impossible, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the, it is. It can be done, but it's very, very difficult at first. Mm -hmm. and after you get past a certain level, it's it's easy after that. But but that's what I'm saying is that crypto gives you an avenue to do that. That's not doesn't doesn't have all those blocks and doesn't have all that regulation. That doesn't have all those rules against you. Mm -hmm. uh, because once it's so new and two, it was built with that way to 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 allow people to have access to things they never had before. Like anybody can create a token. Anybody, mm -hmm. like I say, anybody can create an NFT. This is never possible before. If you go back 15 years ago, there's no way you could possibly ever just create a crypto out of, I mean, not a crypto, but a currency out of nothing. Right. It was impossible, right? But now we could do it in like 30 minutes. You create your own you create crypto or your own currency or your own NFT, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and like before, like to, to create something similar to an NFT back in the day, you had to have a whole team of lawyers right. to do it. Now we can just create these stuff, you know, instantly mm -hmm. and they're defendable in court. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the, the biggest, I guess, draw for me is that it seems like it's a way, like you said, to level the playing field, like because the banking system and all that stuff was created when no one knew it was going on. No one knew that this yeah. type of thing was a thing that was going to make, you know, families very rich. So now everyone is really at the ground level and can actually take part in it for the most part. And that's the the really exciting part is that it it is a it's gonna level the playing field across the board for everyone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's why that's why that's why I'm so, I guess I'm so passionate about it is mm -hmm. that it's just 
is so many people can just do so well, especially, and it's not goes past just investing or, or learn about it, is that even the technology part is so new that almost anybody, if they put their mind to it, they can become experts in it in two years. It's only mm-hmm. like, to be honest, like the blockchain development, all that stuff didn't start until 2015. Mm, okay. So, I mean, the, 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 the most, the big, the most expert people on the world only got six years experience. Oh, wow. You know, mm-hmm. That's the most you can possibly have. That means you started day one when it came out and you that's the most you can have. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying is that if somebody got into it now, a young person or a person that, you know, and they learned three years, they got half as much experience as the biggest experts in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's not like it, it's so new that people and it's new cryptos coming out all the time that you can like the big ones too. Mm-hmm. That you can get in and learn about those early. You're an expert in that. That was an wow. article about a woman on CNN, I think, two months ago, mm-hmm. and she quit her job two years ago, and uh, and she was making eighty thousand a month consulting on blockchain projects. Oh wow! Yeah, because wow. uh, she learned two years ago and just put all her effort into it, and then they they pay like four hundred dollars an hour for blockchain consulting now. Wow! Wow! That's yeah, because it. so few people un- really truly understand it, and um, and it's not that many people on earth on earth that on actually earth. like can do it. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Do you provide consulting to companies, or uh, not? Because I have my own co- a company and we write blockchain uh, software projects. So I, between that and Instagram, I don't have time really. Oh, okay. To do it, but I, I get asked all the time. I just don't. I don't have the time right now. Yeah. Do you want to talk uh, about? Tell me like a said, little bit about your company. Uh, so our company is called Quant Index, and we mm-hmm. uh, we develop uh, what's called emerging technologies. That's mm-hmm. crypto and AI, artificial intelligence. So okay. one of we got two projects out. One's called Higher Match, and that's a cryptocurrency for the uh, recruitment industry. Oh, okay. So uh, we've been working on that for about two years. And then we got a, a couple other apps that are coming out that are related to AI and uh, cryptocurrency. So okay. I spend a lot of time with that too. So I'm kind of like, you know, I don't have a lot of time. To do <laughs> yeah. And, stuff, so. and so you're immersed in the space. You got to know the space. And so it just allows you to, yeah. to sort I was of do at the uh, blockchain conference, what, uh, yesterday and today. Okay. I just got back this morning. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, sorry, on Monday and Tuesday. And then this is this conference is for just people who want to understand it, or people who are already working in the space. Uh, it's it's for everybody. It's mostly people. Uh, it's a lot of investors, mm. young people that just started, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of also technical people there. It was about two thousand people total. Okay. Wow. And it's an annual um, event. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest ones. Okay. So one thing I wanted to talk about before we sort of um, end things here today, I wanted to talk about the digital real estate and how that is becoming, you know, a new thing. Like, how does one take part in digital real estate? What is it exactly? And how how do we, you know, not miss out on, you know, buying Fifth Avenue or whatever it is? So uh, the digital real estate is uh, is, it's the concept called the metaverse, right? Okay. Metaverse is concept of the metaverse has really been out for like 20 or 25 years. It started in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And if you watch some 90s movies, you actually see some beginnings of it. There's one movie called The Lawnmower Man, The Matrix. He's even in that kind of like mm. um, that, that same school of thought. And it's like several movies in the 90s that it, it, the concept was actually termed in 92, 1992. It was a book that was out. Mm-hmm. I forgot the name of the book, but that was the first time that word was ever used. Okay. So and then um, and during the 90s, it was like conceptual. And then around the mid 2000s, 2005, there was a actually a, there was a game called Second Life. Okay. And that was like the first major like uh, attempt at a, at a metaverse. Mm-hmm. And there's a documentary on Netflix called Life 2.0 that kind of talks about it. And it was, oh really? I encourage a lot of people to look at it. Yeah, because there was a, look at it. there's a young lady on that documentary, 
And she was making like in the mid, like uh, six figures, like right, developing real estate back in 2005. Mm. And she was d- doing digital clothes. She was doing, and one of the problems she had, mm-hmm. uh, and this is, this is going to be, uh, this is, uh, this is going to be like fit right into what we've been talking about uh-huh. is that she made, she built an entire empire on this, this app called second life mm-hmm. where people would go into and they would live, of course, their second lives. They would okay. have, have jobs. They would meet friends. They would have real estate. They would rent houses, all of this stuff. And she made all this money and all of a sudden somebody, some other users came on and they just were copying her stuff, like mm-hmm. her houses and her, her, um, her shirts and her clothes. Okay, and she, okay. Of course she can't make as much money because people are copying her goods right. and spreading them through the world. So NFTs would, would fix that now. Um, Back then, because NFTs would, would say, she could say, look, this is mine. Nobody else can copy it because I have an NFT attached to it. But back then, it was just digital. Somebody could just copy it like they can copy a picture on a desktop or a right, copy a file. Right, right, right. Okay. So she started like losing a lot of her money and she had to like start over from scratch. And um, that was in the mid 2000s, right? So that game eventually it went away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the metaverse kind of went away, you know, it got real quiet. Now it's coming back. Uh, now that Facebook has jumped into it, right. uh, changed their name to Meta. And now everybody's talking about it again and the new iterations like Sandbox and uh, Decentraland are out. And, uh, and then the real estate rush is back on, right? Uh, to <laughs> right. buy this real estate in these new places. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the concept's already been proven, what, 20 years ago, almost, well, 15 years ago mm-hmm. in that game called Second Life. So it's, uh, so what the way it is, is that they have these, uh, these plots of lands and these land, each land plot is, a, you can get a state or a parcel. Mm-hmm. And parcels are an estate is just a group of parcels. A parcel is a smaller part of a state. Mm-hmm. And each one of these parcels is represented by NFT. It's almost like a graph paper, right? It's okay. like little squares. And each one is represented by NFT to, to show that you own it. So if I buy one, the NFT is registered is that I bought it on this particular day. And then everybody knows it's mine. Mm-hmm. So it's just like any other real estate is that the closer you are to certain, you know, landmarks, uh, you know, other people's houses or whatever, the higher the price is. Mm-hmm. The uh, farther you are away, the lower the price is. And then it just goes up from there. And so to, to well, you, you said a lot there. That's I think that's fascinating. There was another game I was trying to remember the name of it where people would like have their whole like lives and build houses. And I, I can't remember what it what it's World called. Of Warcraft was one. Warcraft. But there's one in particular. That's not the name that I was thinking of. But um, but the Sims. Sims, yeah. <laughs> like similar something conceptually to that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think it's fascinating. And I always think about the Matrix. Like when people talk about this stuff, I'm thinking about the Matrix where in real life they were like hooked up to a machine and they were just like in this world living this whole, you know, other life and having these real experiences. Um, so it's fascinating. And I do believe that, you know, that one day that's going to be like what we're, what we're seeing in the near future. But I wanted yeah, to... Yeah, that's what... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, go ahead. That's what Elon Musk is working on. That's what that's what people don't understand about the metaverse is that right now people say it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, to be honest, it doesn't. Like if I went back to like the mid-90s and I said, Hey man, uh, I'm gonna write an app so you can order food online, people would have said, How is that gonna work? I mean, like <laughs> right. it, it wouldn't have made sense because of the technology at the time. But mm-hmm. people that are looking ahead could have made a lot of money. Right. So it's the same thing now is that if we look at the technology now, if you look at the metaverse now, the cartoons, are, the graphics are cartoony, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that you got to put, so you got to, you can put on a VR headset, but it's kind of clunky and, you know, all this stuff. And and it doesn't make, it kind of like, it's weird now. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. It just doesn't seem <laughs> it like does. it's like, you know, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. But you got to remember as time goes on, that's going to be, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be, first of all, 
the graphics are going to get way better. It's going to be photorealistic graphics, which means yeah, it's not going to be cartoons. It's going to be just like what we're looking around, mm -hmm. like photorealistic. Okay. As the processes get better, as the, the technology gets better, it's going to be like real. Secondly, is that like Elon Musk is working on like Neuralink and all this technology that you put on a headset and it connects to your five senses. Mm, wow. So you're, you're, all five senses are in the metaverse. Now wow. it starts to make more sense. And then number three is that this is this is like my opinion mm -hmm. is that over time, artificial intelligence is going to take over all almost all of like the, the jobs that we have almost, right. almost every job over the next 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So humans will be left with a lot of leisure time. Ah, you know, okay. So now if you put all those three together, the metaverse seems like you know a good, <laughs> good place for everybody to be all to of a be, sudden. You know? uh -huh. Yeah, because you're saying like, who's going to create the luxuries that we have here in life right exactly. now? Where you know, what are we going to yeah. do? I get that sounds a little scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It sounds scary, but like mm -hmm. a lot of things do at first. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So just with the real estate, just to be clear. So like if someone wants to take part of this, because from what I'm hearing, it's, it's somewhat of a frenzy right now, although there's not like that many people that really know and understand it. How does someone take part in buying a piece of real estate or seeking to buy something like that? So you have to buy it in crypto, right? Okay. In each, uh, each metaverse, there's, there's not just one metaverse, there's several. Mm -hmm. Two of the biggest ones are Sandbox and uh, Decentraland. Okay. So uh, you have to buy these plots with their own currency. And one's Sand mm -hmm. for Sandbox and one uh, Mana for, uh, for Decentraland. Okay. So you buy it. And you have to buy this this currency and you go in there and you buy the land with the currency. And then you can you can do two things. You can hold the land and hope that the price goes up, or you can actually develop the land. Mm. What some people are doing is that they're buying the land and they'll hire developers to build buildings, advertising, platform, all this stuff on the land, and they'll turn around and resell it for a higher price. Or they'll mm. use it and rent it out. Or, or some people are like building like they'll, they'll buy this land and build like billboards on it, mm -hmm. and charge for the billboards. Wow. Or they develop the land out so they can make money. Uh, either renting it out or reselling it at a higher price. Wow. So just like in real world. So it's like you get in on the real estate game, advertising game, like everything that there is to be made money, to to, to make money with in the real world, you can be in on that in the metaverse now. Exactly. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> All right. So just like if you were... You, you woke up in a nightmare, right? You didn't know any of this stuff. <laughs> how would you get started? Like, how would you, what would you tell someone to get started if you had to start over? I would tell people to start with understanding the blockchain itself. Okay. Because that's where all this stuff's going to happen at. You have to understand the blockchain. It's not hard. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, you can go online, just look up easy explanation of blockchain. Just, just make sure you understand that part of it. Once you understand that part, everything else makes sense. You understand how NFTs can work. You understand okay. how, uh, uh, how, uh, how the, the metaverse can work. All of these things you'll understand a lot easier once you understand how the underlying technology blockchain works. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I would just slowly learn more about it. I would learn, after I learned about blockchain, I learned about NFTs. Then I would move on and learn about the metaverse. So I would do it in that order. I would okay. learn about the blockchain first. NFT second, and then start learning more about the metaverse, the land, and how what makes it valuable, what makes it not valuable. Mm -hmm. So those are the three places I would start. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Armando. This was like very good information. I feel like I'm getting clarity on <laughs> what's going on. So how can people find you um, if they want to, you know, just learn from you or take part in what you have to offer? 
Okay, so uh, you can find me on Instagram, Tall Guy Tycoon. Uh, I'm on Instagram, YouTube right now, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's all the same name. That's T A L L G U Y T Y C O O N. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right, thank you. I all appreciate right. it.